from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. Earlier today, the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, Jerome Powell, announced another hike in interest rates. Today, the FOMC raised our policy interest rate by 75 basis points, and we continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate. But to be clear, the current economic mess is not the fault of President Biden and his administration. That according to President Biden. Just look at the facts. When I took office, the economy was in ruins. My, this is not because of me. It's because of what we, I inherited. Okay. Also, an investigative report by The Intercept published on Monday disclosed leaked documents from the Department of Homeland Security, which shows that the Biden administration is colluding with big tech to censor the speech of Americans. Remember, they were it was discovered that they were proposing this disinformation board. Well, they said they shelved it, but the evidence suggests they have not. We're going to discuss what appears to be an assault on the First Amendment along with a look at the latest economic news with North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer in just a moment. Also today, the Federal Reserve Chairman made this comment about the labor market. Although job vacancies have moved below their highs and the pace of job gains has slowed from earlier in the year, the labor market continues to be out of balance, with demand substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. All right, so what's driving this imbalance? And, and how is it impacting these rate hikes? We're going to talk about this with uh, Jerry Boyer, president of Boyer Research. And their extremism is catching up to them. Democrats are finding abortion is a losing issue for them. What's happening is people are discovering just how extreme they are. No limits on abortion. Birthday abortions. This is where the Democratic Party is. We're going to talk about that with Texas Congresswoman Myra Flores. And finally, I mentioned this earlier in the week. George Soros, uh, he has this uh, uber-liberal publication which he funds, ProPublica. Now, this is a leftist outlet that's masquerading as uh, journalism. They published a lengthy, error-ridden article designed to scare and intimidate churches into silence when it comes to elections and issues of public policy. Well, Kevin Kuklowski, a former lawyer in the Trump White House and Department of Justice is going to join me to set the record straight. The website, TonyPerkins.com, there are lots of resources there for you, so be sure and check out that. We also have uh, contact information for our guest. And I want to remind you, we are just five days away from Election Day, and we have a great resource for you. It's a personalized electronic voter guide to the candidates. Now, the candidates on this guide are rated from liberal to conservative based upon their stance on a range of issues. You can get this free. Just text the word GUIDE, G-U-I-D-E, to 67742. That number is 67742. Text the word GUIDE. You get a link. Follow the link over. Put in your address. And within seconds, you will have a personalized voter guide. Again, 67742, the word GUIDE. For those in the Houston area, this next Sunday morning, I'll be at uh, Grace Woodlands in the Woodlands at, uh, in Texas with uh, Pastor Steve Riggle. So if you're in the Houston area, come out and join us that Sunday morning, this coming Sunday morning. The word for today comes from 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Thus, Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. 
However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. You know, Jehu came the closest to a good king that the northern kingdom had ever had, but he fell short because he couldn't bring himself to break with the syncretic faith of the first king, Jeroboam. Jeroboam, for political purposes, set up golden calves so people would not go to the temple in Jerusalem for fear that they might not come back to the northern kingdom. While it wasn't the worship of Baal, it wasn't the worshiping of God with their whole heart either. It was a mixture of true faith with idolatry. And this illustrates, I believe, where many are today. God does not want us to have one foot in the world and one foot in his kingdom. He wants us to have both feet planted firmly in his kingdom. To find out more about our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. President Biden made a public appearance this afternoon with a speech intended to highlight his efforts creating infrastructure jobs. But one word was notably absent from his speech, and that word was diesel. Even as the president tries to tout his economic record, the energy crisis he caused has cratered our diesel supply to a dangerous level, while its price has surged by nearly 40%. Now, here's the question. Would an electoral defeat next week drive home to the president and to his party that voters are dissatisfied with the policies that they have put forth? Joining me now to discuss this and more, Senator Kevin Kramer. He serves on five Senate committees, including the Senate Banking Committee. He represents the state of North Dakota. Senator Kramer, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to join you. Thank you, Tony. Let me get your reaction to the president's remarks as the midterm elections are almost here. He spoke today as well as last night in Florida. Is the president boxed in because of his own administration's energy policies that have caused so much pain to the American family? Well, Tony, there's no question about that. In fact, I thought his his speech a couple of nights ago uh, where he announced that it's the evil oil companies that are to blame for the high cost and that, that, in fact, they need to be punished with a windfall tax because they're, they're holding on to their profits was perhaps the best example of, of basic economics that is missed by this administration. And by the way, standing right next to him was his Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who clearly knows better, and her, his Energy Secretary, who I'm not sure knows better. But when you think about it, he has helped drive up the price of energy, including diesel, including gasoline, especially probably diesel and gasoline, by his policies, because his policies have driven down the opportunity to produce more of that product. And when you drive down the, you know, the opportunity to produce more, that means you can't invest your profits. And that, again, drives up the price. And then he complains that they are making too much money and should be punished for it, which adds to the price of the product that, they, that they're producing. It's Total absurdity, and I can't imagine there's an economics teacher in all of America that doesn't know better than that. But if you come at it from a socialist or Marxist framework, it makes perfect sense. Well, kind of, except that this Marxist has to be elected. And there's an election in five days where people are largely going to vote on pocketbook issues and inflation. You talk about the diesel issue and and, and when you think about energy and how it's part of the value chain of everything we produce, everything we manufacture, everything we grow, everything we import and export, whether it's the the, uh, the product, you know, the, the feedstock uh, for the product that you're making, which is a lot of products, 
or whether it's just the transportation of goods and services, particularly crops and food to a hungry world. All of this is, is enhanced by the price of energy. So I don't know how you win an election when you're almost solely responsible. Well, unless you've been repeating this stuff so often that you actually believe what you're saying. But the the diesel crisis in particular is not something that the industry has not been warning about. I mean, you go right. back to, uh, to to early summer, actually, last spring. The right. industry was warning the Department of Transportation that there was a crisis looming on diesel, but there appears to have been no action taken. No, and this is a tough one, um, Tony, because diesel is something that obviously it's a product that's made by by oil. It's refined like gasoline is refined, but it's very specifically used in, in some very important industries, especially the transportation sector, transporting things by truck and rail. Diesel also requires another another byproduct, if you will, or another product, and that's DEF, diesel exhaust fluid, which is required in any engine that's been built since uh, two, uh, 2010, I guess. And urea is the feedstock for DEF, and Russia and China are two of the largest um, countries that produce urea, Russia number one. So obviously, you can see this coming for a long time. We have a lot of urea that can be mined here on the North American continent, lots of it in Canada, as a matter of fact. And instead of opening up more mining, and by the way, more refining of oil products, he goes the exact opposite direction, tries to shut down mining, shut down refining, shut down production of the commodities that create these products, and somehow it's somebody else's fault. It's it's really tragic, and I think it's quite transparent. Senator, as you pointed out, this is a very important sector when you talk about transportation, diesel-driven uh, trucks, trains. That's what delivers a lot of America's food supply. Uh, a lot of things come on truck and rail. In fact, almost everything. So could we be seeing a, a, a crisis of even food sort shortage as a result of this uh, f these failed policies on energy? Well, there's no question. And, and Tony, we haven't even talked about the workforce challenge, which is an additional problem when it comes to truck drivers especially. And then on top of that, we have this constant threat of a possible rail strike. So you've got a labor strike looming, at least being threatened. You've got a shortage of, of drivers, a shortage of diesel super high costs, um, and, and then a global economy that to boot. So, yeah, all of this could speak to a looming crisis. This is why I think, and I noticed you, you reported, of course, like everyone is today, uh, that the Federal Reserve announced another 75 basis points increase in the Fed interest rate, and I expect there'll be more of that. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure what the right policy is or what the right timing is, but we've got we've got a crisis that's not just inflationary, and I know we had a fairly productive last quarter by comparison to recent quarters. But there's still there's still uh, real serious uh, problems on the horizon, and I do worry that inflation is becoming entrenched. Not just well, certainly not transitory. It was that that, that right, ship as, as we were told. Ago. Right. I was very quickly. I want to switch topics. There has been a major story this week that the Department of Homeland Security regularly works with big tech platforms, as well as I understand Chase Bank was in these has been in these meetings all about suppressing or censoring, I should say, the speech of of uh, of, of some Americans. Your thoughts on this? Well, this is one of the most frightening 
things that's happened under this administration. It's been happening for some time, the collusion between big tech and liberals in general. But when you get an administration who says, by the way, you know, that, that they're not doing this and then they're caught doing exactly that, it has so many constitutional ramifications, just common decency ramifications. If you start squelching, censoring you know, First Amendment rights, wow, we are in a lot of trouble as a self-governed people because the self-governed can only be successful if the governed are well-informed. The greatest backstop to corruption, I've always believed, is complete transparency. You don't have to like what everybody's saying, but you have to let them say it within within some bounds, of course. But uh, th- this is way too, way too far. And I think if Republicans take majority in both chambers, which I believe, Tony, they're going to do, I think we're going to do it big, both in the House and the Senate. These people have to be brought before these committees and held to some account. And there has to be rigorous oversight and uh, and maybe even, you know, some some enforcement action with a couple of these cabinet secretaries. You know, Senator, I agree 100 percent with you. I think whether you agree with someone or not, they should have the right to speak, obviously, within the the, the bounds of not inciting uh, certain things. But the reality is our system of government only works if people have a voice in the process. And by silencing those voices, I think it leads to what we've been seeing, uh, violent activity, which is absolutely wrong. Can't we cannot sustain a republic on that. Senator, we're out of time. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Look forward to seeing you real soon. As do I. Thank you, Tony. All right. Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. Great guy. Glad he is uh, on our side. All right. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Congresswoman Myra Flores to discuss the Democrats' extreme positions on abortion. They're actually losing ground because People are actually now looking at what their positions are. They're extreme. Stay tuned. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. 
To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. All right, be sure and get your personalized voter guide. Text the word guide to 67742. That's 67742, the word guide, G-U-I-D-E. You get a link, follow the link, put in your address, and within seconds you'll have your own personalized voter guide to the candidates in your area that are going to be on your ballot. So, again, text the word guide to 67742. And by all means, make sure you're going to vote. Plan right now. Plan your day. Now, early voting in most places is over. Uh, Some places probably still have it. Uh, But now is the time to make your plans to show up at the polls on Tuesday and vote biblical values. And don't just go by yourself. Call a friend. See if they need a ride, especially if you've got some elderly people in your neighborhood or someone in your church. Take as many people as you can to the polls. It's important that we vote our biblical values and by all means be praying. And if you missed our Pray Vote Stands um, broadcast last night, you can still uh, catch that at prayvotestand.org. It has been a difficult campaign cycle for Democrats when it comes to many issues. They, they've had to run from the economy. They've had to run from crime. They're running from the border. And another aspect of the Biden administration's domestic policy agenda, they're, they're now having to run from abortion. It, it seems like at first it was the only policy topic the Democrats were eager to talk about. But what's been very helpful, and in, in we've talked about it here on the program, encouraging Republicans to go on the offense and say, you know, our position's not extreme. Protecting the unborn, that's not extreme. Where will my opponent draw the line? And that's what's happened through many of these debates. It's revealed just how extreme on abortion the Democratic Party really is. I mean, abortion all the way up to the day of birth. Well, this is now looks as if it's a winning message for Republicans protecting life. Joining me now to discuss this is Congresswoman Myra Flores. She serves on the House Agriculture Committee and the House Homeland Security Committee. She represents the 34th District of the Lone Star State. Congresswoman, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to be here. It's good to have you. I want to ask you about this. You know, all we heard last summer after the the Dobbs decision is that overturning Roe v. Wade would doom Republicans in the midterms. 
But that's not been the case. Those like yourself who had solid footing on this issue have been out there talking about their positions, but that has forced, with some effort, to get the media to ask the other side, what is your position? And that's not going over very well with Americans, is it? No, it's it's not going very well for the Democrat Party. Uh, for example, here in South Texas, we've always been about God, life, and family, and hard work. That is just who we are in South Texas. I was raised with those values. I was raised to always respect human life, and they're the extremists. You know, my opponent supports abortion up to nine months with no restrictions. He has no respect for human life, and you know, South Texas will never stand uh, with those. Uh, extreme um, ideas and, and views, and, and not just South Texas, America, the United States of America will never stand on those extreme views on abortion. We are pro-life. You, you know, uh, Myra, what, as I've been working with Hispanic leaders across the country um, in, in, in Central and South America as well, this is an issue that is, it, it's a I find the Hispanic community very passionate about this. In fact, the polling in Texas, after Texas passed the heartbeat bill, the the Hispanic community was probably the most supportive of the life position. Absolutely. We've always been uh, a community that respects human life. Again, that is just... That is just who we are. Um, the Democrat Party, though, won't talk about that in South Texas because they know they know that uh, South Texas and the Hispanic community has always been uh, very respectful of human life, and they won't talk about um, their extreme views here in South Texas. For example, my opponent never mentions that he voted for abortion up to nine months with no restrictions. He he doesn't say that. You know, he only says women rights, that he, that I am against women rights, when in reality, you know, they're the ones that are against women's rights. I am for women's rights, and it starts at the womb. It, 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 it just doesn't seem to me that that would stick, that you being a woman would be against the rights of women. Now, President <laughs> exactly. Biden, you know, speaking, speaking of elections, now, President Biden has been clear that if the Democrats, by some miracle, hold on to uh, the House and the Senate, his first, first, he said this, his first priority is to codify abortion on demand until birth. Does this show how important this election this coming week is? Absolutely. Um, this election is about saving lives, saving human lives. It's heartbreaking to see what's happening in our country and how um, far the Democrat Party has gone so far left. They're um, supporting, um, you know, values that we don't represent. That is just not who we are in, in South Texas. And it's heartbreaking because I just never thought that the Democrat Party would be supporting, you know, these types of abuse up to nine months with no restrictions. I mean, we have a senator here in South Texas, Senator Lucio, who has been a Democrat, who is a Democrat all his life, but he's always been pro-life, always been pro-life here in South Texas. He's always voted pro-life. Why? Because he understands and that understands that we don't mess with human life. And he's always respected um you know, the mother and, and the baby in the womb always, even though he's a Democrat in South Texas, because that is who we are. 
So I'm very, yeah. I'm, I'm very proud to say that, you know, people like him have always put the pol political party, you know, aside and done and has done what's right. I'm going to always do what's right, not necessarily what's politically right. And well, I believe we that we need more schools and more playgrounds and not abortions. Well, I agree with you, and I, I would just want to say uh, we know that that's what you believe, and that's what you, you've been very outspoken on your pro-life positions. We're grateful for it and, uh, and thankful for your leadership on this issue and look forward to, uh, to working with you on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless you. Absolutely. That is Congresswoman Myra Flores. And, you know, this issue, is, it, is, it is critical because if— there's only two positions on this. Either you're for life or you're for abortion. And the, the president has made very clear, this would be his number one priority. Make sure you are voting. Go out to the polls and vote on election day. Get your voter guide. Text the word guide to 67742. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and glad that you are with us. The website's TonyPerkins.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. And let me encourage you, invite someone else to join in the viewership of Washington Watch or listen, whether you listen on radio or watch on TV. I encourage you to invite someone else so they have a source of news and information from a biblical perspective. Okay, we see the, uh, the signs and business windows everywhere we go. 
help wanted or be patient. Some, you know, our people showed up for work today. I've seen some really creative signs in some of these places. Frankly, I've avoided a lot of fast food places just because no one's working there. You know, companies across the country have reduced hours and often close entirely because they cannot find enough good workers. I went in to, on my way into the uh, studio today and was going to get a soft drink, and, and the line was all the way to the door. And I said, I'm not waiting. This is because one person showed up for work. Now, according to the recent, a recent report from the Census Bureau, 100 million Americans were not working last month. Now, are these people out of the labor market and therefore not counted in the unemployment numbers? Now, why does that matter? Is there a connection between the unemployment rate and the actions like what we saw today by the Federal Reserve raising interest rates once again by three quarters of a percentage point? Joining me now to discuss this is Jerry Boyer president of Boyer Research and author of The Maker Versus the Takers, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics. Jerry, welcome back to the program. Tony, great to be with you again. All right. So the Census Bureau, for various reasons, uh, various factors, 100 million people not in the workforce. Some of those retired, obviously, as the baby boomer generation almost turns the workforce into an inverted pyramid. But then you've got a lot of folks from COVID not coming back in. You've got people who are just saying, I'm not going back to work. Um, That's a lot of people. So are they being, have they just taken themselves out of the workforce and are therefore not being reflected in the unemployment numbers? That's right. That's correct. To be called unemployed, you have to be seeking work. You have to be in the labor market um, and not have a job. You have to fulfill those two ideas. So if you are um, out of the labor market, let's say you're retired, that's one of the ways people leave the labor market. Another way people leave the labor market is what's called discouraged worker. Um, the labor market is so bad, you can't find a job and you just give up and, and stay home. That's another, so you're not counted as unemployed anymore. But now we have new categories. They're not technically new, but they're, they're you know, rather larger than they've ever been which is just don't bother to work. Uh, Retire early. We have a tremendous number of early retirees. Um, For example, when we saw the COVID shutdown, right, in the spring of 2020, we saw every kind of labor market participation rate drop. Um, But different groups came back over time. The group that never came back was 55 and older. The labor participation rate for people 55 and older is almost exactly the same as it was in the spring of 2020. So they took early retirement. Women came back to normal. Men came back to about maybe half or three quarters of normal. So the the drivers are people are aging out um, and and, and they're boomers that have aged out and didn't replace themselves. So there's a contraception abortion story here that's actually extremely important. I'd say abortion is the single biggest driver of our labor shortage right now. Uh, But you'll also have a shift in work ethic where for most of my life, if you were a young man of able body, you would be you would be ashamed not to work. And that's no longer the case. So when they say we have this historic low unemployment that, you know, we have everybody basically who wants to work working. It's not a true picture of what we have out there. We have a lot of people who are not working. And so this is a, a somewhat of an artificial picture. Yes. Oh, the unemployment rate is very distorted. 
you would associate our current unemployment rates with a very strong economy. We just had a recession in the first half of this year. Um, a recession is two quarters in a row of negative economic growth, and that's what we had uh, you know, the, the first and second quarter of this year. The first six months of the year, the economy was contracting. The unemployment rate never went above 4%. That's unheard of. Why? Because never in our history have we had the kind of demographics that we've had now. So it makes the economy look healthier, healthier to look at the unemployment rate. And I think you've already alluded to this. It makes the Fed feel safer in raising interest rates and contracting the money supply and contracting credit because they have two mandates. One is fight inflation and the other is don't let unemployment get too high. And they can say, well, unemployment isn't too high, to which we say unemployment actually really is high if you adjust for the fact that we are losing maybe half a million people out of the labor force every year who have aged out of the labor force. And basically, from, from Roe versus Wade to now, everyone after Roe to now, everyone who was born after that, would be 50 or under, because it was 50 years ago. Well, that's 66 million people who would be 50 or under who aren't in the labor force. 44 million of them would be over 18. So 18 to 50, 44 million people are missing. So abortion has left us with a labor shortage, which makes the unemployment rate number look better than it really is, when what we really have is a labor shortage. And we have a labor shortage because we have a people shortage. And we have a people shortage because we made a generation dispensable for the sake of convenience. And then you have, as you said, the Fed making these decisions that affect the entire economy based upon a distorted number, which is going to have some significant ramifications for the overall economy. Jerry, I want to continue this conversation at some point. We're out of time today, but uh, always great to talk with you and, and very insightful. And I think our, our policymakers need to get a grip on this because the numbers they're given are not accurate. Jerry Boyer, good to see you. Good to see you. All right, folks, uh, stick around. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. 
Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. So good to have you with us on this. uh, See, today is Wednesday, right? Okay. Just five days away from the election. Make sure you have plans now to vote if you've not already voted. And you can get your free personalized voter guide by texting the word guide to 67742. You say, well, Tony, why do you keep repeating that? Because I want to make sure you vote and share that with your friends. You don't have to. It's not uh, it's not limited to Washington Watch listeners. You can share that with your friends. Give them uh, the number 67742. Text the word guide, G-U-I-D-E, and they, too can get their own personalized voter guide. By the way, I want to make this announcement, a couple announcements. Um, I, I mentioned this earlier. I'll be at Grace Woodlands this Sunday morning. If you're in the Houston area, come out and join us. I'll be with my good friend, Pastor Steve Riggle. And then next Thursday, the Family Research Council is hosting its annual Friends of FRC Banquet in Costa Mesa, California. So I know we've got a lot of listeners in uh, in California. So I want to invite you personally to uh, attend this inspiring evening. You'll hear from uh, myself, um, Michelle Bachman, Ken Blackwell, and our keynote for the night is former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Special music by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, this is a night that you don't want to miss. You can register by calling 800-225-4008. That's 800 800- Two two five four zero zero eight, or if you missed that, just go to TonyPerkins.com. Almost 70 years ago, then-Senator Lyndon B. Johnson introduced an amendment to the tax code preventing tax-exempt organizations from being involved in what they called political campaigns. This law, known as the Johnson Amendment, has been selectively enforced over the past 70 years, when enforced it's enforced at all usually it's just ignored it's just used as kind of a threat but that may be changing as christian leaders become more vocal and they're really being forced to because of the encroachment of government into the area of the church you know we hear all the time about this 
well, separation of church and state. State, the church is getting into the state's business. No, 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 no. No, the state is getting into the church's business. When, when the state takes on moral and spiritual issues and calls them political and then tells churches to stay away, whether it's the life issue, the marriage issue, human sexuality, all of these issues that the Bible speaks so clearly about, now we have organizations on the left raising a ruckus about churches speaking out. There's, I, I mentioned this top of the program. There is a, uh, it, it's a leftist organization masquerading as a journalistic organization, ProPublica. It's a nonprofit, quote-unquote, newsroom that is funded by George Soros in part, okay? And they, they've written pieces about the Family Research Council, about our tax status as an association of churches and others. But they just came out with this piece uh, going after a number of pastors and churches that are challenging their people to vote, um, pastors who are personally endorsing candidates, and they're saying, oh, this violates the law. This violates the, the, the uh, IRS Johnson Amendment. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to provoke the IRS to take action against these church leaders and uh, these churches. Well, join me now to uh, to discuss this is Ken Klukowski, a former senior counsel in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and former special counsel in the White House's Office of Management and Budget. He has also litigated constitutional cases in the United States Supreme Court. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. So, um, you know, the, the ProPublica, a liberal rag, but they they are trying to incite uh, the IRS to take action against uh, churches and pastors. But walk us through the history uh, of the Johnson Amendment and what has taken place since then. Well, that's right. In 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 1954, uh, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, so this is before he was president and before he was vice president. Uh, he controlled the U.S. Senate. He was the uh, majority leader of the Senate. He's really the one that made that position into the powerhouse position that it is today. Almost complete control of the chamber. Uh, but before before Johnson's tenure, it was more of an administrative job that people thought of as a thankless job. Uh, but while he was there, there was a piece of legislation uh, that, that he got through, uh, just saying that if you are recognized as a nonprofit, really looking at 501c3s, which are charitable uh, public good institutions, educational institutions, charities, and churches uh, are, if they seek a letter ruling for uh, a designation from the IRS, are put into that category as 501c3, where it's not just that you don't have to pay taxes on profit, but also that those who are giving you money can deduct those donations on their own personal taxes, uh, that uh, that uh, 501c3 cannot be endorsing particular candidates or parties for public office. So in this piece of uh, by ProPublica, again, masquerading as a news organization, they, 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 here's a line, I quote, but the IRS has largely abdicated its enforcement responsibilities as churches have become more brazen, speaking about the Johnson Amendment. But, but is the reality that 
the IRS, because I know a few going back a few years with Alliance Defending Freedom, we actually teamed up with them. I was the honorary chairman of their Pulpit Freedom Sunday initiative, where pastors intentionally preached sermons endorsing candidates or or making statements that uh, were supposedly against uh, the Johnson Amendment, recorded them and sent them to the IRS, and the IRS did nothing. Is that because the IRS recognizes they really don't have a constitutional foundation? Well, I think at minimum, it means that the IRS knows that they would be in a in a gray area, uh, uh, an area of constitutional law that has not been definitively nailed down, at least not at the Supreme Court level. And I think they're afraid to open that door because they're not sure what would be on the other side. Uh, the arguments going both ways are this, that under the First Amendment, both the free speech clause and the free exercise of religion, that set aside like a charity that's set up, okay, or a school, that if you're talking about a church, you're talking about something that it has a pedigree that predates the U.S. Constitution, and that you have these extraordinarily powerful protections for religious liberty built into the First Amendment, including when you would be talking about a church, talking about issues of God's Word as they speak to particular public policy issues, or candidates for office that are running on what they would do on those issues, then you're running into both free speech rights and the free exercise of religion. And the Johnson Amendment was passed at a time when there was a more liberal Supreme Court that also over the next 20 years became much, much more secular. That's where you got the rise of what was called strict separationism under the Establishment Clause, a very narrow view of religious liberty. And as the Supreme Court in recent years has swung increasingly back to originalism, back to the original public meaning of each provision in the Constitution when the American people adopted it, I think that's where the IRS says, okay, we've got one argument on our side. And our argument is, we're not telling you what you can and cannot say. We're just saying you're not going to get the effect of a tax subsidy if you do it. To try and pit that argument against these deep fundamental right arguments of free speech in the free exercise of religion in the First Amendment, I think they're just not willing to put all their uh, uh, all their money in the center of the table, uh, you know, to bet to bet the whole pile on one hand and see how it would come out in court. So if it's connected to the money aspect, and this has kind of been the the I think the rule of thumb that many have followed is that, you know, if, if you're not using the church's money and resources, then, you know, that's that's where the IRS would come in. But simply a pastor stating his personal preference for a candidate in an election would not be violating the this uh, Johnson Amendment because no, no funds are being used for that. And I, so uh, I, I don't want to ask you to give legal advice to these pastors, but what do we know is acceptable for churches to do that, uh, you know, is, um, you know, obviously the left's going to criticize it. That's what they're trying to do. They want to silence the churches. But what do we know based upon history that churches can do? Well, it's, I appreciate you teeing that up. Let's answer that in two parts. One is an area that we know is a safe harbor. And the reason it's worth mentioning that is because 
this is a space where there should be, you can't imagine that there should be any enforcement action. Uh, again, not giving legal advice here, but just as a matter of historical performance, but that many pastors ha have been misinformed by the media and the culture and don't even realize the amount of running room they have where there's just no uh, 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 record of enforcement. And then you get into the area where there would be a clash. And I think that's what I was uh, talking about a moment ago, where I said, I think it you, there would be a very strong argument even against the IRS there. Uh, but but in, in that first category of things that they can do, uh, the Johnson Amendment just says that you cannot be uh, uh, actively participating in a political campaign, speaking about the church as a corporate entity, as an organization, uh, that you cannot be choosing one candidate over another or one uh, uh, or one political party uh, over another for a contested uh, uh, political election. But in that, it, 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 what exactly do those terms mean? Uh, and because one principle of constitutional law, it's called the, the canon of constitutional doubt, is that you don't, when you have two ways to interpret a provision in a statute, one of which would raise some very serious constitutional issues, and then a narrower view that doesn't raise any problems with anyone, courts are required to go with the narrower view, to just steer clear of the Constitution. And as you said, you know, a, a, a reading that doesn't even raise free speech, et cetera, is to say, well, it makes sense that maybe a church couldn't give a political contribution to a candidate or a campaign or, or to use its facilities or resources to actually become part of the campaign. But nowhere does the statute say that a pastor or any church leader getting up in a pulpit sacrifices his free speech rights to do so, especially if he is speaking on something that is connected to the teaching of the church, such as saying, mm -hmm. we care about abortion, we care about life, and speaking to the issue of abortion and being able to note what candidates or what issues may be there and how they would come down on that. That's not endorsing uh, a candidate. That's not even directly telling anyone who to vote for or against. That is explaining the issue and saying how you see, as a matter of free speech and religious liberty, how you see the Word of God speaking to that issue. Speaking of issues, Ken Kulkowski, let me ask you this question, because as I mentioned in the introduction to this segment, we've had politicians that have turned moral and spiritual issues into political issues, and I should say probably the courts have done this. So there are some saying pastors shouldn't be talking about these issues. Are there any restrictions on pastors talking about human sexuality, marriage, and abortion? I mean, are they restricted from talking about those issues by the IRS? No restrictions whatsoever. They can preach whatever the Word of God says, and uh, they don't have to worry about losing their tax exemption. Uh, absolutely. And even if there was something in a statute that said it would be illegal, again, I think then there would be a very serious uh, fight over whether that provision in that statute violates the U.S. Constitution. But the fact is that there is no such provision. Uh, either in the Johnson Amendment, which is 26 U.S.C., Section 501c3, or in any other provision of federal law. There's nothing that says that you can't talk about things like that in a church. 
or that you're in, you know, we, or that you're in danger of any sort of enforcement action if you do. You know, can we see? By the way, pastors, if you're or maybe you're not a pastor, got a relationship with a pastor, we have resources available for you that kind of lays out the do's and don'ts, and you can find those at uh, either you can find them at uh, prayboatstand.org or just go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links over. But Ken, I was just going to last question for you. You know, every election cycle we see. You know, people for the American way and uh, uh, those uh, what they're united against the religious freedom, whatever they call themselves. They send out these letters scaring pastors. You know what? They just need to can those things. This is all about trying to intimidate and silence the church, isn't it? Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, not only can can pastors speak out about issues, you can speak as a matter of public record where leaders uh, and and those who want to be leaders, where they stand on that issue. None of that is endorsing a candidate or it is, nor is it uh, opposing a candidate. It's, It's taking, to take issues from God's word and to speak about how they play out in daily life and to note just the undisputed facts of where different individuals, whether they are, whether they are running for public office or not, to be able to talk about where opinion leaders and where other types of leaders, where they stand on those issues, those are things that enjoy protection under multiple provisions of the First Amendment to the Constitution. And we need to exercise those rights so that we can protect those rights. Ken Klukowski, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Tony. God bless. All right, folks, and thank you for joining us as well. Remember, text the word GUIDE to 67742 to get your personalized voter guide. Until next time, I once again leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 7234.